this is how this ummah has praised the Prophet ﷺ, which the Quran wants us to do. Ya Taslima. What is that? If it's not to celebrate the name Mubarak of the Prophet That's what it means. When you send blessings and salawat ala Nabi you're praising him, you're honoring him, you're describing him, you're asking Allah to send his fadl, his rahmah, his grace upon the Prophet And the Muslims continued after that to do that as, as part of their culture. So a culture that's deprived of bell letters, of good poetry and literature is totally, totally messed up. Because you have nothing else to look forward to. So if you don't read poetry and if you don't love the Prophet then what kind of a Muslim are you? That you can't spend five minutes of your life thinking about your Nabi Rasul and praising him? So I send salawat, that's fine, salawat is good. But in order to capture the awe of the Prophet you have to think about him. Intellectually. You have to read about him. You have to praise him in your words in front of Allah. Which was part of the culture of the Sahaba. See, because we don't read, we don't read, we don't know. When you read the seerah of the Sahaba, you will see that the Sahaba engaged in describing the Prophet they also engaged in poetry for the Prophet and they also engaged in speaking about him in their words in front of Allah as part of their culture in the same culture we were in one Muslim country we'll mention the name and there was a day of mourning and the ruler said, there's a day of mourning, or three days of mourning. Out of honor for that person who died, they closed all the malls. Now, kid you not, people in that country had nothing to do. So they all went to the beach. Hordes and hordes of Muslims on the beach because they had nothing else to do totally bereft of any culture nothing to do except go to the mall and I'm not joking this was three days my family was there you can, you can ask my son here for three days all we saw is hordes and hordes of people on the beach because the malls were closed This is what it's come to. This is how it comes to. God forbid there's no sports in this country. What would happen? You'd have suicides. Imagine no sports. Just imagine. No NBA, no NFL, no MLB, no hockey. Not even the, the other leagues, the smaller leagues. If you had absolutely nothing, then everybody will be depressed. 
Everybody. Why? Because there is no blaming culture. No one reads. No one thinks. I'm talking about non-Muslims. No, Muslims are even worse. Muslims at least have an outlet. They have parties. Fridays, Saturdays, and they have parties. That's their culture. God forbid if there's no party, what will happen? Wow, husband and wife might have to talk. And that will be Qiyamah. That will be doomsday. I can't talk to my wife or my husband. That's disastrous. Why? Because I can't go to party. I have to actually engage in family business. So what I'm saying is that the, 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 you must appreciate Hubbur Rasul, Ishqur Rasul, poetry, celebrating the, the, the Prophet's life, honoring him as part of a cultural imperative that Muslims initiated from day one. Yeah, it's, it's okay that they didn't appoint today, but they did it all the time. Can you spend five minutes thinking about the Prophet ﷺ? And can you spend five minutes talking about the honor, the gift that Allah has given us in front of Allah and thanking Allah for the gift of Rasul ﷺ? Can you do that? If you do that, you're great, mashallah. Allah give you more. But if you can't do that, there's something wrong with you. There's something absolutely wrong with you. So what I'm saying is that the, 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 the Muslims understood there's a distinction between the Prophet ﷺ not being a poet and our composing of poetry. They were careful. They nuanced it and they were very careful. And they did so ingeniously. But they understood that without poetry there's no culture. You cannot express your love unless there's poetry. That's why we had poet societies. One after another, one after another, one after another. You go to Mushara, I was privy to some of the greatest poets of Urdu and Farsi when I was there in India. And the, the, some of my teachers went to several Mushara. You know, Mushara is a competition of poetry. Poets get together. This is in Urdu. So the, the, the competition was that one poet would start his poetry and the second poet would have to start his poetry from the last letter that the previous poet finished. Not the last word, the last letter. And he'd have to continue. And the next one would do the same. And this will be for six hours. One after another, one after another, one after another. I mean, the, the brilliance right, of the Muslim mind and the intelligence of the Muslim mind is represented this way so that you're proud to be a Muslim. Instead of being a buffoon, why you party all the time? Bell letters. Having a zeal to read and to think and to intellectualize 
and to philosophize and to be with the Prophet and to love the Prophet and to make the dhikr of Allah and to love the Quran and to recite the Quran this is what a Muslim civilization does so you can't shun poetry because some of our greatest poets were superb human beings Imam Shafi rahimullah a great magician of the Arabic language he was a magician Imam Shafi and we're saying this is Hanafis hmm? he used to say لو كان في الشعر لفضيلة لكنت اليوم أشعر من لبيد Labid was a great poet of the Jahiliyyah. Even the Prophet ﷺ commended him and praised him. Labid, superb poet, ingenious. Imam Shafi says that had there been any merit in poetry today, I would have been a better poet than Labid. To show that we don't play second fiddle to anybody. We are part of this Ummah of Muhammad, we're the best. Our ability to compose poetry is second to none. And today people shun poetry. What is this poetry? They have no, absolutely no imagination. Excuse the pun. No taste. Anyway, so what I wanted to do today, I was told to stretch this until Isha. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Hopefully most of it is not ranting. So, we, 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 I'm trying to explain and uh, hopefully enjoy some of the poetry of the Sahaba. Referring to the Prophet Sallallahu hmm? Yeah. So we go back to, first of all, the story of Yusuf Alayhi Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed and adorned Yusuf with half of beauty as mentioned in the hadith such a beautiful man so handsome subhanallah his um, primary caretaker Yaziz caretaker uh, imprisoned him made sure he was never exposed to anybody in the city she put him in parda uh, why? Because he's too handsome. He was so handsome, and she said, I can't afford to have him exposed. So she literally imprisoned him in the house. He was a good life, he was okay. A time came when the, obviously, the, the women's society, uh, every society has a women's society, a women's association. A women's social group, a WhatsApp group, a media group, a women's rights group. So there's no, no difference there in Egypt. The women's group got together, the elite, the social elite women got together and started to now promote rumors about Zulaikha, the caretaker of Yusuf, and said, she's doing this, she's doing that, she's doing that. Started criticizing. Zulaikha. Remember the word criticizing. It comes up in the poem. Started criticizing Zulaikha. So what did she do? 
being a woman. Okay, I'll teach you. Uh, I'll teach you. So she prepared and hosted a banquet just for women. The women's only lunch, which all of our women engage in, mashallah. Oh, credit to them. Let them eat, enjoy, mashallah, as long as they serve their husbands afterwards. Then all women's lunch, feast, also some fruit, and she put some knives there on the table. And as they were eating, engaging, mashallah, alhamdulillah, she now said to Yusuf, Ukhruj alayhinna. Come out from behind the parda and the screen and reveal yourself. Show yourself to the women. This is the Quran, by the way, in Surah Yusuf. So the Quran says, When they saw him, they held him in the highest regard and esteem. Magnified him, Akbarnahu. They magnified him, and they were so amazed with awe that they cut their hands. Women, as you know, are very particular about uh, table manners. How you cut the bread, how you spread the butter, how you cut the fruit. Table manners. Men don't care. Men are sloppy. They're useless. Women care for these niceties. Finishing school touch. You know? Therefore, a group of elite women to forget that they're cutting a fruit or a piece of bread or a piece of meat and instead of that cutting their hands means what? They were more than mesmerized by the beauty of Yusuf And then Zulikha said to them, Hadaladi Lumtunani fi. This is what you were criticizing me about. This handsome man. But I haven't touched him. I haven't touched him. So now this story. Listen now to a couplet as part of a poem composed by Aisha anha, about her husband the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and a wife's testimony to her husband is golden a wife's testimony to her husband is golden his first wife Khadija did that at the time of Nabuwa and Wahi, which we know. This is another testimony. And she says in the form of a poem, a couplet, وَلَوْ مَا أُزُلَيْخَ لَوْ رَأَيْنَ جَبِينَهُ The women who criticize Zulaikha, if they were to see the forehead of the Prophet that they would have preferred to cut their hearts rather than their hands. 
See how she, in, she how, how she captures the beauty by making qiyas, analogy on the beauty of Yusuf. Immense imagination, the genius of Aisha, as we say. In words, to capture that beauty in these words through a precedent of a Nabi, through reality, it's not just pure imagination, it's reality. Now she says that if they were to see his forehead, they would have cut their hearts open. Never mind their hands. So what do you think about this couplet? It is a mind-boggling genius. Now first of all, a woman would praise her husband. Second of all, a woman would describe her husband in this way. And thirdly, the intellectual, academic ability of Aisha to use something that the Qur'an mentions to describe the beauty of the Prophet That's how much ilm they had. That's how much knowledge they had, who the Sahaba. Anyway, so these are Aishas. There's another couplet from someone else. When you lose someone close to you, you grieve, you mourn, and invariably you'll go into depression. That's just human nature. It's normal, it's natural. The Prophet said you must come out of it after three days and continue living instead of dying because someone else died. That's just the practical therapy that the Prophet offered. But internally you'll still mourn, which is fine. You can't stay there though. Because you still have to do your salat and you still have to give your zakat, you still have to go for hajj. You still have to fast and with all of that. You must try and come out of it as slow as, as, as much as possible. Yeah. When the Sahaba, radiallahu anhu, when they uh, lost the Prophet from this world and he departed into the other world, okay, it was perhaps the darkest days of their lives without reservation. Their love for him surpassed everyone else's love and their grief for the Prophet leaving was much more than anyone else's. I would say in world history. That's how close they were. And it must have been very, very, very painful for them to be there with the body Mubarak of the Prophet and not burying him and eventually taking care of him and burying him and uh, all of that. Mm. And who do you think missed the Prophet the most? Who do you think? Family members. Right? As much as he was a public person, he was also a private person. No one missed him more than his wives. And then, no one missed him more than his daughter Fatima. 
Prophet said about Fatima, she is a piece of me. She's from me, she's a piece of me. My blood is there, my flesh is there. And he loved her the most. In one riwayah, one hadith. But she went into such deep mourning that it's incredible that even she even survived six months. She died six months later, primarily because of the grief she felt losing the Prophet in this world. But then she composed. You have to understand the Sahaba came from a culture of poetry. That was the oral tradition. They lived for poetry. That was who they were before the Prophet came. So even people like Fatima, who was young, and Aisha, who was also young, they were able to compose poetry very, very almost like second nature. Ali radiallahu anhu, one of the greatest poets in Muslim history, period. He has a whole diwan of poetry. Another Sahaba, which I'll talk to you about in a minute, inshallah. They had poetry after poetry. Anyway, so now Fatima composed. And then she says in two couplets, which I'll recite to you. Mada ala man shamma turbati ahmada idha lam yashumma mudiyya zaman al awaliya. Remember, I told you the story of the smell, the arwah, and how the arwah smell? That was for this. Yeah. That there can be no blame on anyone who smells the dust Mubarak of the Prophet Sallallahu The turba His dust His soil His body There can be no blame whatsoever on anybody who smells the soil of the Prophet if they have never smelled any perfume ever afterwards in life because that smell is your link to the Prophet from the arwah in the dunya in the barzakh on the day of judgment because that smell is permanent See what kind of alim she was. <laughs> See what kind of genius she was. Huh? Obviously raised by the hands of the Prophet. That when you smell the Prophet's body, you don't need to smell any of the perfume ever in your life. Because that is going to make you compatible with him. Then he says, Subbat. عَلَيَّ الْمَصَائِبُ لَوْ أَنَّهَا صُبَّتْ عَلَى الْأَيَّامِ سِرْنَ لَيَالِيَةً As far as my grief for my father But I have been inflicted with problems The problem of leaving the Prophet and the Prophet of leaving us That if they were, if, if the, these problems, these masaib, these if these calamities were a real thing 
then they would change days into night. That if these calamities that have come upon me were thrown upon the days, the days would automatically turn into night. There you can see the imagination of Fatima. You can see that, that the imagination it conforms with reality. Because that's how she felt, and this is how the Sahaba felt. It was the greatest tragedy in their life, in their lives, to lose the Prophet. So these are two examples from the Ahl Bayt, the family of the Prophet. The third one comes from perhaps the greatest poet of all time, none other than the person who was instructed by the Prophet to compose poetry from the mimbar, and for whom the Prophet made dua, Allahumma ayyidhu bi ruh al Qudus. Allah guide him and assist him and give him help from the Ruh al Qudus, the very sacred Ruh. Referring to Jibreel Perhaps Allah guide him and assist him through that And give him this uh, unique ability to compose poetry against my enemies Hassan was a true poet He didn't go in jihad The stories of him I can't tell you um, Because I don't want you to, to, to say anything about him he, he didn't go into jihad. So the Prophet says, okay, if you can't go into jihad, please do this. He's a true poet. Sit him on the member and compose poetry against the enemies of the Prophet. Hassan bin Thabit. Amazing imagination. Mind boggling imagination. When you read his poetry, you say, Subhanallah, where did he get that kind of creativity from? So Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu has two couplets. He has many. I have chosen two. Embracing the being who is Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. One describes his inner, and the other describes his outer. One describes his inner, which is the batin. And the other describes his outer, which is the zahir. Yeah. Where your inner and outer conform, you are a true Muslim. And when your inner and outer don't conform with each other, there's something wrong with you. You're imbalanced. Right. So now, when you're describing someone, then you want to describe all what we call the kamalat, the perfections of a person that were perfections in reality they weren't just imaginary as they were when you compose poetry for heroes and villains and uh, military leaders and generals and whoever artists and you know your lover whatever now as, as I said the, 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 the uh, poem doesn't add up to reality so in this case it does So understanding the seerah mubarak of the Prophet and then with your imagination, God-given imagination, you compose words that describe who he is in literally a nutshell. It's an amazing talent.
and gifts from Allah. But he says, Lahu himamun. Lahu himamun. Amazing insight into who the Prophet is. That he has, meaning the Prophet has so many different types of willpower and determinations. When he says, Lahu himmatun. Then he has determination. That mean enough. He said, no, Baba. Oh, he is much, he's a, what, call, what we call uh, a multitasking person. Rather multitasks all the time. He's a multitask. In this world and the other world also. So he didn't say, Lahu himmatun. He has a determination, willpower. That would be enough to say, okay, he has great determination. Then this one, he says, the poet, Hassan said, Lahu himamun in the plural. He has so many different types of himma, willpower and determination. So many different compartments of his life show that he has immense willpower. He has many forms of willpower. And he's saying this so that he, he, he demonstrates what he wants to demonstrate. Unique ability to express Something that is so real, but in words that are just simply mesmerizing. He says, if you have categories of himma and willpower, then I want to describe to you his smallest willpower. So if you have willpower from a value of 1 to 10, I'm going to tell you about number 1. I'm not going to describe number 10. Because it's beyond me and it's beyond you. I'm going to describe number one. 